What were they, psychos? They look like psychos? Is that what they look like? They were vampires. Psychos do not explode when sunlight hits them. I don't give a fuck how crazy they are. and welcome back to the Bloodlust and Bourbon Podcast. My name is Steven. I'm Hannah. I'm Troy. All right, and uh, first of all, I just wanted to say thanks to everybody who's uh, given our Twitter a follow and uh, to make sure you just, you know, ring the bell or whatever the hell you call that thing uh, to, so you can get notifications of when our episodes come out. Uh, and then uh, make sure to go over, if you use Facebook, to go over and uh, follow our new Facebook page was created today awesome and uh so today we're going to be talking about one of the more interesting vampire movies out there um it is robert rodriguez and i'm going to go ahead and credit quentin tarantino with it uh from dusk till dawn yeah he wrote the screenplay oh uh, yeah he wrote the screenplay and you can tell <laughs> <laughs> yeah but before we get into that, let's go around real quick and just kind of talk about what we've been watching. What about you, Troy? Um, I took a trip to the movies for the first time and since the end of 2019. I didn't go really anywhere in 2020. Um, and I saw uh, In the Earth, new Ben Wheatley film, which I highly recommend. Um, I feel like it's gotten, you know, mild to good reviews. Um, I really, really liked it. Um, it's, I'm not really going to talk too much about it, but, uh, cause anything I really say it, it's, it's going to be spoilery, but it's a movie that, that, uh, um, it talks very briefly about the pandemic and, um, I don't know, I'm not really interested in any movies that are like putting any sort of emphasis in their plot or their story on the pandemic because it's really easy it's just really not interesting to me but they briefly mention it and briefly you know kind of uh discuss it i guess and but the movie's not about that um it's very weird lots of weird sound design if you have a really good sound system in your home um that'd be great but it's really great to watch in a movie theater this the sound is it's almost 3d like i wasn't even in a fancy theater but it was like you know i could hear it behind me and to my sides it was really interesting um and i saw mortal Kombat, which um <laughs> i feel like does not help the case of you know video games being adapted into movies i thought it was there was cool gore and stuff i didn't think it was the worst movie i'd ever seen or anything like that but um i didn't think that it was you know absolutely you know, amazing. I don't think it's much better than the 95 one. And I think the one from 1995 feels more like the video game. Um, but aside from that, that's kind of what I watch there. Yeah. I, <laughs> I 
don't think video games translate well to cinema. Like if you think of like Assassin's Creed or or some some of these movies, <laughs> or like some of these like you know Resident Evil movies or or whatever. Like goodness, um, you know, that could I be just, a whole episode. <laughs> yeah, like I just don't think it necessarily translates well. If you enjoy them, that's cool. Glad you enjoy them. Yeah, uh, but yeah, as soon as I saw another Mortal Kombat movie, I was like, I mean, that's cool, but why? Like it was kind of my thought. Yeah, it's I I I thought they may have you know tried to uh, talk more about newer characters that have been in the past few games. There's been a lot of like ongoing characters from the past, let's say three games, but they they only really focused on they focused on one new guy, and then all the other people were uh, play you know characters in um, a lot of the previous games. And I don't know, I didn't really. I thought a lot of the times it was so cheesy, just like when they were announcing their names, it was just so forced in there to, you know, be fan servicey, I guess, you know, it's like just normal dialogue between uh, two human beings, then just randomly, I am sub zero. And it's just like that. I don't know. It's just so weird. It's so it feels every time somebody was announcing their name, it was so out of place. Um, again, the, the gore was cool. You know, Jack's smashing the head when he claps it and, one guy got gutted and it was pretty messy. Um, but I mean, as a movie itself, it was um, <laughs> the, the one from 95, in my opinion, feels more like the game, even though it's not as graphic. I would argue it feels much more like the game. The, you know, you're watching, I don't know. I, I feels more like the game. That's all, that's all I can say. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, moving on. What about you? And what have you been watching? Uh, one of the things that I watched that I actually enjoyed a lot more than I thought I might was called The Room and not the Tommy Wiseau one, which I have also watched and was a clusterfuck. Uh, <laughs> this one is the good version of The Room from 2019 about a couple who move into a house and start ripping wallpaper off the walls. And if you ever move into a house and it has wallpaper, just fucking leave it there because nothing good is ever found underneath wallpaper in any movie. Uh, <laughs> in this one, they find basically it's like the Harry Potter room of requirement. Anything that you wish for in this room will come into being, but they eventually realize that once you leave the house with it, whatever you've created in the room will turn into ash. So all the money and jewelry and clothing that they're creating is only good inside the house, but they don't figure that out until the wife has created a baby, which was obviously already going to be a terrible idea for like 60 reasons, but it wound up being actually really good. There were kind of some plot holes by the end of it. It got really, really trippy, but I liked it a lot. And then last weekend we watched um, Jacob's wife, which I'm not going to get into because I know I'm going to talk about it in relation to From Dust Till Dawn, because it's another vampire movie. But we also watched one called Happily by uh, Ben David Grabinski, and it was so much fun. Uh, basically, it's about a couple whose family or whose friends hate them because they've been married 14 years and they're still really in love with each other and they have a lot of sex. And this is apparently insufferable to everyone else who hates their spouses. And Stephen Root shows up and it's like, hey, guys, there's something wrong. You shouldn't be this happy. 
you got to take these injections so you'll be less happy and everything will be back to normal. And rather than do that, they kind of kill Stephen Root and then spend the rest of the movie going, well, was he actually from an organization? Was he supernatural? Are our friends playing a prank on us? And it's just, it's a wild kind of little hour and a half ride of trying to figure out what the hell is actually going on with this great kind of background cast of actors that you like you've seen from things you don't maybe know their names but you recognize all of them and they've all got their own little shit going on it was really really interesting and just a lot of fun to watch well steven root yeah usually if steven root shows up in your movie he's not up to anything good Um, (laughs) unless it's office space obviously he was up to something he was doing the lord's work there um i love him uh king of the hill as well King of the Hill. What was he in King of the Hill again? Bill. Oh, he's Bill. Yeah, he's. Oh, Bill. I did not know that. Oh yes, he's. I think he's. Uh, he's probably. A, I don't know if he's any in, in any other Mike Judge uh, things, but I'm pretty sure he's probably a frequent collaborator with him. Oh. I don't. I would assume at least. Well, a uh, couple things I watched. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to mention too much about it, but I got to mention Jacob's Wife also. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love vampire movies, so I like a modern take on a vampire movie like this. Um, it deals a lot with uh, religion and how women are treated in, you know, religious households or in the church itself. Um, and it was for me, it was a five out of five. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well made. Uh, I think the director is actually really good at what he does, considering he also made the girl on the third floor. Um, so I recommend everybody watch Jacob's Wife. Yes. Make make the purchase. Go ahead and buy it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not streaming anywhere. It's it's VOD. Yeah. VOD. Okay. It's it's streaming. I think I think we got it on uh, Amazon. We're, yeah, we were Amazon or Voodoo. It's on all those right now. Um, and then I also I checked out Carpenter's The Fog again. I've seen it before, you know, plenty of times, but. Just a fun one, you know, like right after he made Halloween, he uh, he made The Fog. And I mean, I think everybody knows what The Fog is about, right? Like the Fog rolls fog, in. Fog, I assume. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, the Fog rolls in and then with it comes, you know, the, this legend that this town has of these uh, um, dead, the ghost of dead uh, people that, that that the town ended up killing. It's really fun. Just check it out if you haven't seen it. But uh, I also, I'd never watched these before, but I also uh, went and checked out The Stepfather. Uh, and the oh, Stepfather you did? Too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the original ones? The original Stepfather and Stepfather 2. I saw that there's a third one, uh, but I haven't checked out the third one yet. Um, Does not have the same lead dude in it. Yeah, I, I saw because of, I assumed that because I saw that in the description it said plastic surgery and I went, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I like the stepfather, the first one, pretty well. Oh, yes, uh, that one's a good one. Uh, yeah, it had a, it, it had a lot, you know, I, I really like those kind of movies that kind of you know what he's going to do and you just got to see if he's going to succeed or not. Oh yeah, I already know what he's up to in this, and I think that that sort of tension is actually really fun. Uh, oh yeah, I love the first Stepfather, the original one. Um, yeah, the Stepfather two 
uh, didn't really do it as well for me personally. Uh, it, you can tell it was very like late eighties style. Like the slashers are kind of going out and social, you know, this kind of like thriller slasher. It just, it felt like a little forced, you know, like the usual gets out of prison gonna, you know, he has to kill the guard to escape to get out of prison. And then he just like, I don't know, cuts his hair and changes his eyes and runs off. <laughs> right. Uh, so the first one with, without him being caught at all, definitely did it for me more personally. Don't watch the remake. Um, I implore you. I mean, I'm going to now. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's, it's not terrible. I, I think the remakes watch, but it's on Netflix. Um, it, it's, it's definitely watchable, but I feel like they use too much, um, what's it called? You know, like uh, royalty music or paid for whatever the hell it, you know, like royalty free. Uh, music. Well, it's not royalty free. It's, it's the, the, you know, like actual song, like songs by actual bands. They use like, like, like butt rocks stuff from, from the radio. It's just like really terrible, dedicated music that they use throughout the movie. Um, I feel like it's not set in the same sort of, town that was a big part of the stepfather for me you know what i mean like it was set in this small twin peaks like town where nothing goes wrong right i mean yeah you kind of have like a little bit of distance in the town though because he's like on that you know he's on that barge there like going across yeah and everything like but he's not far away he's in within like a certain geographical range. Yeah. But the town itself that he's in is like a nice, quiet little town though. Like it's a nice, really friendly town. Everyone knows each other. Everyone's like, all. it's like, you know, apple pie and baseball and cookouts. It's, you know, just a generally nice where nothing ever goes wrong town. Whereas the remake, um, the remake is set in like, a California town with like set in like a big, you know, you know, like all the houses and scream they're huge and like mansion, like almost. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of set in that sort of area. It's not, it's not set in a, like a cozy place. And then I don't know. None of the characters I feel like are memorable. Um, It's, uh, (laughs) I, I didn't like the ending as much. It's just one of those, you know, came out in the late 2000s. Just, I don't know who it was, you know, who was uh, going to enjoy this, but it. I didn't think it was good. I mean, it's hit or miss for everybody on the late 2000s slashers. Like, either you, you like them or you don't, I feel like. Yeah, I think there's some really good ones. Um, it's just... Uh, Go, I, I definitely, you know, you should, you should definitely watch it. And then I, I, I you know, I want to know what you think. You know, the, the biggest masterpiece of any slasher remake is uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, right? Oh, <laughs> it has, no, it has that same like feel and vibe. Like it has that same um, aesthetic to it, which you, you get what I mean? Like it has this yeah. like really okay. slick, yeah, it, like uh, that's all, that's a really, that is an amazing way to describe the remake it has the dude the stepfather is the dude from um uh the dude from uh nip tuck um not the guy who played dr doom dylan something <laughs> i don't remember but i don't know it's 
I, he didn't, I don't know. Just, you just watch it and tell me, tell me what you think about it. All right. Yeah, I will do that. All right. Uh, before we move on to our topic of the day, does anyone have any other thoughts or things they've watched? Spoiler alert. Everybody be cool. You be cool. Somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Low profile. You understand the meaning of the words low profile? Sure. Two of America's most dangerous criminals have taken hostages. What is this? It's called a punch. I'm going to ask you one question, and all I want is a yes or no answer. Do you want to live through this? Yes. Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. One night is all that stands between them and freedom. This is my kind of place. But it's going to be one hell of a night. We might be in trouble. We have a bunch of fucking vampires out there trying to get in here and suck our fucking blood. Now, their only chance is to fight back. Oh, yeah! George Clooney, Quentin Tarantino, Juliet Lewis. Welcome to slavery. No thanks. I already had a wife. From dusk till dawn. All right, so we'll, let's just start in. We'll give our first roll thoughts of this movie. Uh, Troy, what do you think of From Dusk Till Dawn? I love From Dusk Till Dawn. I think it's a, a great gore fest. You know, could you say this is Robert Rodriguez's goriest movie? I think, yeah. Uh, we listened to the the production commentary today, and one of the big things, especially in the end scene that he was talking about, is that they had to uh, cut down on the gore for the MPAA. <laughs> so uh, I definitely would say that this is probably his goriest film. Yeah, it would have been even gorier without... You know, if there was an unrated version of this film, it would be even gorier because they said they had they had by the end of the end of the end of the movie there were body parts everywhere, everywhere, <laughs> yeah, everywhere used for everything from pumping shotguns to guitars and um, no, but my my first initial thoughts are that I think it's not only gory but it's it's extremely fun. I thought it there's it's just exciting and fun, 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 fun. And what are your first thoughts on it? Uh, So my first thought is, if you've ever seen Friends, there's an episode where Rachel gets a hairless cat and Joey does not believe that it's a cat. Every time he sees it, he just yells, it's not a cat. And watching From Dust Till Dawn today, my take is, it's not a vampire movie. Like, I'm just, I'm going to Joey it every time. It's not a vampire movie. I love it. It's really fun. I'm not convinced they're vampires. And I have Robert Rodriguez backing me up on that. Yeah. Because he actually said, like, oh, these are really more like zombies. Uh, Well, they're not vampires. I, I, they call them vampires, but that, that's my initial take on it is they're not vampires, but it's a very good movie and I like it a lot. 
Well, that's not why I think they're vampires. Like, you know, with the holy water and the snakes through, well, they're not through the heart, really, I guess. But. I think that that's part of it is that they don't necessarily always die. When Sometimes they die with getting shot in the head. Sometimes they die getting stabbed with that, like, you know, stake right there and everything. Um, well, like when he swallowed the cross, though, like it made him die. Well, no, I, I would argue that they're a form of vampire. But um, I, okay. think they're a, I think they're honestly a blend of vampire and ghoul. Okay, it's the closest thing. Ultimately, I'm not going to argue with the director. I mean, if Robert Rodriguez is saying that they're not or not vampires, then uh, he he said that they're they're not like pure vampires. Well, he called like them traditional. Wookie, he so. he called them Wookies. That's what they apparently on set. That's what they said <laughs> they were called. They called them Wookies. Wookies. Yeah, no, I could see how they're not. You know, it's they're. Uh, vamp- vampire adjacent is that a good <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is that a good way to yeah, say yeah. vampire adjacent the vampire adjacent movie i'll give it that <laughs> I, I mean okay. i think they're closer to like the count orlock style yes vampire. Um, yeah the, the pure just actual whole monster instead of yeah. you know um absolutely you know, cute slick guy with fangs right um yes so real quick so real quick, I just want to run through like a quick just synopsis. It's it's a paragraph. Um, just so you know, I would hope that all our viewers have already seen from dusk till dawn, but we're gonna just go ahead and do this anyway. Well, in case like a four-year-old that's listening that hasn't seen it, you know, well then I would for them. encourage that four-year-old to go watch from dusk till dawn. <laughs> yeah. Uh don't tell your mother. Um uh, your mom. Unless you're my mom and you just show it to me. But anyway, on the run from a bank robbery that left several police officers dead, Seth Gecko, George Clooney, and his paranoid loose cannon brother, Richard Quentin Tarantino, hightail it to the Mexican border. Kidnapping preacher Jacob Fuller, Harvey Keitel, and his kids, the criminals sneak across the border into the fam in the family's RD and hole up in a topless bar. Unfortunately, the bar also happens to be home base for a gang of vampires, and the brothers and their hostages have to fight their way out. That movie has one of the weirdest turns <laughs> in any movie I have ever seen, right? So when, it, when the first time I was watching this movie, I thought I was in a crime movie, mm-hmm. right? And, and in the beginning, you kind of are in a crime movie. Uh, yeah, it, it is a crime movie, but, you know... I, it, the whole turn at the bar, did anyone suspect that? Did anyone go in going, yeah, I know this is going to happen. This is going to turn out to be a vampire movie. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, there's nothing alluding to that whatsoever. No, my ex told me that it was going to be a vampire movie, and I was mad because it was like, what the fuck? You're just, this is some weird crime thing. What the fuck are you making me watch? I was <laughs> promised vampires. But now you say it's not. And a it just, I never got vampires. Yeah, so. like more natural, uh, natural born killer vibes to yeah. the beginning of it, which is funny because, you know, Juliette Lewis, but um, and I think Tarantino wrote that movie. So, yeah, there's. Um, uh, Tarantino actually wrote that character for Juliette Lewis, like, and had her in mind. And then she actually asked to be um, in this movie and be that character. So there's a lot of influence. And if you see a lot of like, um, 
that kind of lost the movie. From Natural Born Killers? Yeah, yeah sorry. If you see a lot of Natural Born Killers in this, it, it's probably because of Tarantino and the similar writing style. Yeah. Between that and Natural Born Killers, for sure. Yeah. I mean, he basically said that he wanted to write it so that Juliette Lewis would have to say, will you eat my pussy to him? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, that was, he almost explicitly said that in the, the tri- uh, commentary that we watched earlier. Listening Such to a, commentary. Such a sexual deviant. Listening to commentary with Quentin Tarantino in it for more than an hour is kind of exhausting. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a lot. He's like, uh, he's a, he's kind of a slime ball. I think we all know he is though. So yeah, it's not like he's hiding it from anybody or anything. We all know he's kind of a slime ball. Yeah. It's not Joss Whedon where it's like, people are surprised when it comes out and it's a betrayal. It's just like, oh yeah, it's fucking Quentin Tarantino. What did you think? Yeah. Like you said, he's going to talk to you about (laughs) Japanese films for 40 minutes and he's going to go Google a picture of your feet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if somebody was talking recently about God damn it, about Tarantino and was saying that it was him and another actor, a filmmaker, and then another actor, and basically uh, they they wrote an article about you know I was locked in a room for this long with Quentin Tarantino and this other person watching these movies while they did cocaine. And this was my experience or something. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, you can only imagine. I can't remember who Quentin Tarantino was doing coke with. I'd, I'd have to look it up. Maybe they talked about that on the on last week's Joe Bob. Um, I'm not sure. Um, but I'd, I'd have to look it up and, and give you all more info later. But it was it was just like a crazy mention. Like, I, I, I was like, wow, okay. I'm kind of scared of the concept of Quentin Tarantino doing cocaine. I, it's, I'm not like doesn't surprise me. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me, but also I'm just like, yeah, oh, oh, yeah. same. Maybe he oh, was um, on that commentary. That would have explained a lot. Yeah, he didn't shut up. Yeah, look it up and get back to you. All right. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, shit, I lost my thought. <laughs> Let's just kind of go around and uh, give our thoughts on the story a little bit. I know Hannah here has some comparisons to make to some recent vampire movies. Yeah, so I have two comparisons, actually. Uh, the first one is that in a weird way, From Dust Till Dawn is the same movie as Signs. And okay. <laughs> all right. Because, all right, so both of them are about a preacher, or in one case, a priest, whose wife dies, leaving him with two children to raise, and he loses his faith. And it's only reinstated after a brush with absolute supernatural slash demonic forces. And I just, it cracks me up as a concept that that's something that comes up in both of those movies. Because it's like, What's keeping these men afloat and keeping their entire relationship with God afloat is their wives. Like you get rid of this woman who's the linchpin apparently of their entire universe and everything explodes for them. And it takes this enormous just otherworldly experience to actually 
return them to any kind of um, sense of their place in the world. I just think it's kind of amazing that in these movies, the wife's position is sort of as important as an entire coven of vampires. Like that, that's somehow of equal weight when it comes to this guy's belief in an afterlife or belief in God, this thing that should have been his entire, like, right. His entire like linchpin. This is a preacher. This is his job. And it apparently revolved around just this, this one person. I think it's fascinating, but then we're watching again, Jacob's wife just last weekend. And if you haven't seen it, the, plot of it is that there's a preacher, Jacob, which I love because that is Harvey Keitel's name in this as well as Jacob. And Jacob's wife, Anne, has a super boring life until she gets bit by a vampire that they call the master throughout. And, you know, just spoiler alert, it's turns out to be a female vampire, which I think is super, super cool. Um, I think they're interesting when taken um, in tandem because for Jacob in From Dusk Till Dawn, the vampires are this huge aberration. He gets bit and he's like, oh, I'm already dead. You'll just have to take me out when I start to turn. And then in Jacob's wife, Anna gets bit and she actually likes it. Like her life has been so boring and so stilted until then that she gets cool after she's bit. Like there's this whole great sequence where she's like throwing furniture around her living room to that song bloodletting. And just, she looks amazing. She's having more fun than she's had in forever. And to me, it was, just such a great dichotomy of for the man that this is going to be death for him for the woman. It's like, well, I've been in this loveless marriage forever. I'm already dead. At least this vampire thing is a new way to be dead in the world. And yeah, just, I really, really enjoyed watching these kind of back to back and seeing the different ways that they approached gender in them and the, place of wives in the universe cool yeah i think that's a really good uh good comparison especially between uh jacob's wife and from dust till dawn um i definitely see the sign comparison but i think with the jacob's wife and from dust till dawn both being vampire Vamp- movies <laughs> vampire-esque <laughs> vampire movies but that's okay uh, uh that's also- yeah, that there you know there's an obvious comparison i i think that there's an obvious comparison that um you know the name and and the the preacher and james jacob yeah all that stuff is is a pretty clear like homage probably i would say to to from dusk till dawn um i was gonna say another signs comparison was the vampires in from dusk till dawn or sorry, vampire adjacent monsters from dusk till dawn. Wookies. <laughs> uh, Wookies um, also get hurt with water sometimes. So there's that too. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Good catch. You didn't catch yeah. that one. Uh, real quick, I found the article, by the way, and you're going to love this. 
you, I'm not, I'm not going to go into, I just want to say the, the headline of it. Fiona Apple says one night listening to Quentin Tarantino on Coke got her off it for good. <laughs> Listen to Tarantino on Coke made her stop doing it. Oh, that's, that's, that's yeah, he bad. was, he was doing a Coke with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, God. And <laughs> I think I would start doing Coke too. Yeah, I was, I was watching an interview with PTA and you could clearly tell he was coked up um, doing it. this fucking interview was great. The industry is riddled with coke. It's of course it is. Yeah, it's everywhere. Like you got to work 12 hours a day for three weeks straight, you know, with no break in there. You know, you're kind of probably do coke to keep yourself going or Adderall or. Yeah, I mean, be and drink six cups of coffee a day or some shit. Gene Roddenberry, you know, Star Trek did so much like Coke. I'm pretty sure he did meth. He did all sorts of stuff. I mean, like that, I think that's pretty normal, you know, because like you were saying, like 12 hour days, sometimes way more than that, you know, what can you do? Right. Yeah. So this movie, obviously, like I was talking about with the turn, um, I want to ask you all just real quick. And um, why do you prefer the vampire scene or do you prefer like before, which one do you like better? Do you prefer the, the crime aspect or the vampire aspect? Troy. Um, I think, I think I prefer the, um, I prefer the second half of it more. That's just because, you know, um, I think it's more fun. I really like the first half of it. I think it is a great buildup and segue into, you know, something you had no idea what you were going to get into. And the first half does it beautifully to, you know, mesh those, you know, mesh it to, you know, that the vampire aspects and horror aspects together with the non vampire non horror aspects together. But I definitely prefer the second half. I just think it's, a lot more fun. I think there's so many more fun characters. Um, you know, I'll get, well, I guess we'll get into that later, but yes, I prefer the second half. I think I actually prefer the crime side of it. I hadn't thought about it as a choice, but like, I like both sides, but the crime half is where you get all of the characterization and you get those really fun conversations like between uh, Michael Parks and the clerk at the beginning where it's just or it's kind of an entertaining thing and then it gets hilarious when you know what's going on like yeah you don't get that so much in the actual vampire scene stuff so yeah I guess I actually like the crime stuff better mm. yeah it seems more it's more sinister in the first half like I think there's more aspects in the first half I think it's more sinister and I like George Clooney's little one-liners and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have six friends and they all run faster than you. <laughs> yeah, I love a lot of George Clooney's dialogue in this. I mean, dialogue's oh, yeah. great all the way through, but some of oh, his, yeah. you know, it's just like you can't imagine anyone else doing it. Um, oh, no. So I actually prefer, I think I prefer the vampire a little more, the vampire area, just because um, just the, the effects and, and uh, how well it's done. And then you get more people in it that have like personality too, like sex machine. Yeah. Um, 
and I, I his name is losing me, but the big guy, Fred Williamson. I don't know Fred his Williamson's character name. Character. Uh, Fred Williamson was Frost. Frost. A lot yes. of his like stories and everything, and how you know how he turns and immediately becomes yeah. like they point out. Um, there, there's a lot in that, but I do really, really like the crime aspect. Like you said, it's it's sinister. Like how how just how deep of a broken, fucked up character uh, Richard Gecko is. Oh yeah, already. Um, and like they like we pointed out earlier when we weren't recording um richard is already a monster before he becomes a literal monster oh yeah Uh, he's already not really human in certain ways um and then just the transformation to become a monster a full-on monster um he he should have been taken out before he became a full-on monster let alone once he was a you know a vampire um (laughs) So yeah, I prefer I prefer the vampire area, but it's it's close because I think they both complement each other. Once you see the whole movie all the way through, there's no way to separate it in a proper way. Right. I think what what you said is I, I echo with the effects and stuff. I, I aside from those weird like CGI esque melting things, which you know I'll overlook that they they look kind of stupid, but. <laughs> <laughs> but the the just the the all the practical stuff was just amazing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the CGI in it is not that great, but it's also 1996. I know that's what I was going to so, say. 96. You can't uh, really you can't fault it. So yeah. So let's just kind of run through this this story real quick and just give our thoughts on it. Uh, so that's let's just start with the opening. All right, so. They are at a gas station with Michael Parks and they're holding up the gas station. And this scene is intense in multiple ways. And it's actually the last scene they shot. So they already like the actors already knew and been through everything else that they've done. So knowing all of that, they went and did this opening scene. So they've already been through the most bonkers part of the movie. But somehow this opening scene is, in certain ways, almost just as bonkers. It's just as crazy. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? I didn't know that. That's really cool. It's like uh, they did the same thing in uh, Halloween. The first shot was the last shot they shot in the movie. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> fun fact. Um, oh, I th- yeah, I thought that was great. I... Um, I love I love the guy behind the counter and I love Michael Parks and anything. Isn't didn't somebody draw a comparison between Michael Parks character in this and also in Kill Bill? Maybe like Kill Bill took place before it or something. He was the sheriff. You know what I mean? Like he was also a sheriff. There's, you know, the the I don't know, the the universe of, you know, characters or whatever and, and Tarantino slash robert rodriguez movies or something yeah he plays the same guy in several of them i think but i don't yeah. know ones. Yeah. Um, i'm not a big kill bill person so i don't know anything i couldn't confirm anything or anything like that he was super similar like he was a you know kind of a u.s marshal type character or whatever um, I love that whole interact i love the i love the words like shoot all the bottles and he you know lights the the toilet paper on fire and just 
annihilates that guy. That poor guy. There's a bunch, like that's that's how I feel like you know you're gonna have a great movie. Is just like you, I gave a shit about the you know the guy behind the counter. I thought he I hated that he died. I didn't want him to die. Yeah. Was so you know his in memoriam photo of him drunk fishing. You know it's like I love this guy. This guy's wholesome and redneck. Yeah. So uh, that guy was almost played by Steve Buscemi. That would have, oh man, that would have made it worse. Like worse <laughs> feeling. That would have made it worse, like more effect. That would have made it like more sad. Would it? I, I don't like see because every time that you see Steve Buscemi in something, or for me, um, I, I kind of want him to die a lot of the time. So like, I mean, I'm thinking of like, uh, what's that one? Big Lebowski? No, well, he's fine he there. He dies there. He dies, but... Uh, oh, uh, you're talking about Con Air. Con Air. When he's in Con Air, he's just like that child predator in it. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Garland die. Green, man. You need to die. Danny Trejo's in that, too. Oh, yeah, he is. He is, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that's fun. I, th- I think he would have done well on it, but I like the guy that's in it. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, when he when he burns to death, popcorn pops around him. Yeah, I noticed uh, that as well. Ridiculous. <laughs> what do you think of that scene? I like. I like the scene a lot. I can't watch it without thinking about uh, the opening scene of House of a Thousand Corpses. I'm actually willing to bet Rob Zombie might have been um, building off of that, maybe because it's the same kind of thing almost where someone comes yeah. into the convenience store trying to hold it up and then except in this case like the actual robber is the one who gets killed but it's the same where you get this like long kind of pointless conversation and you're watching the movie going what the fuck i don't care about these people who is this this is not the plot i asked for <laughs> and then it just ends with people getting shot you're like what the oh okay well that was abrupt. And like they pointed out in the commentary, the, the classic Rodriguez walking away uh-huh. from a building blowing up and nobody yes. hearing. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a really fun scene. It's a great way to open the movie, even if it's not what you were expecting if you were told it's a vampire movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, sure. So we're moving on. You know, they they get to their hotel. Uh, the front office dude's a dick. Apparently they just like left the footage going like and gee, he would just like rant and rave and record and shit. And hey, there's plenty of uncut footage of him just like cussing out Quentin Tarantino. Oh, really? Yeah. The front guy. Apparently they were just like be a complete prick to him. He's he's in a lot of stuff. I looked up his I, that guy for some reason. I looked up his kind of resume, I guess. And he's in a, some James Bond movies. Um, he's in a lot of stuff. Huh. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is they said that this movie was uh, it was written for it to be like a really low budget, no known actor movie. And then like all these actors started signing on and they're famous and they're big and all this stuff because it's right around the time Pulp Fiction is taking off. Yeah. Um, So like everybody wanted to work with Tarantino right after that. So they got to go and get a bigger, better cast. So then Tarantino spent a lot of time um, in this scene. Actually, we're coming up to the hotel scene. He had to rewrite. Um, to make it darker and everything because oh yeah um yeah oh yeah (laughs) yeah um because like you know there's so many different actors in it and everything uh so he just kept rewriting this movie uh multiple times and and sending it to people and people were liking it so 
it took Tarantino a long time to write this movie. And this next scene is one of the last things he wrote, which is the darkest scene, arguably in this movie, which is the, you know, the woman yeah, they yeah. captured uh, is uh, brought in. And for some reason, Seth, knowing his brother left Richard with this woman, this poor woman um, who Richard then killed and raped Come watch TV with me. Hopefully in that order, too. Yeah, hopefully, if, if you're going to kill someone and rape someone, just don't. First of all, just kill yourself. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I guess kill them first? Let's, just don't do it. Just don't do it. That's that's my stance. You do not <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if somebody said, yeah, it's implied that he killed her first and then had his way with her. I, I Just knowing his character, I wouldn't. Oh, yeah, probably not. No. Because yeah. but this scene is really important because it's really pushing that narrative of how much a monster Richard really is. Um, yeah, those quick flashes. Yeah. And that Seth knows and just, like, he cannot cope with that. He takes, like, the existence of vampires a lot more easily than he does this just pure proof that his brother is evil. Yeah. Yeah. So as they leave there... They are this the when they first come in contact with the family. Um, and they they hijack the entire family, they kidnap the entire family and the camper that they have with them. Um, and they are trying to get across the border with this family. And it will be much easier for them to get across the border if the family is with them. Yeah, it's basically where the Millers. Yeah, it's 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 a zombie yeah. or it's a zombie my ass, <laughs> vampire version of. We're the Millers. That's a, that's a good take. <laughs> um, and then we get our first look at Cheech Marion, who plays His, three different people in this Three movie. different people. <laughs> and apparently Tarantino was insistent. If he's going to play two people in this movie, he has to play three throughout the, like the first act in the middle of the second, you know, real me of it, you know, when he gets punched out and he's after screaming pussy 600 times. Uh, and then, <laughs> you know, the, the drug Lord that he's waiting on at the end. Uh, yeah. Who once again gets punched. Um, I love the sheer audacity of it to like have him play not two, but three. <laughs> Obviously he's in the, at three different points. Yes. You know what his name is in for the pussy part? His name is Chet Pussy. <laughs> That's his name. It says in the credits, Chet Pussy. <laughs> hey, what's his name as the security officer? Read that out aloud. Border guard. And oh, then no, he had a, he had a different name. Apparently, on the patch, it's the name of his biological teacher's biological father. Oh, okay. Um, who was actually a cop in L.A. Oh, okay. Also, I learned Danny Trejo is the second cousin of Robert Rodriguez as well. I didn't know that. Hmm. Huh. Fun fact. Did not know that. Yep. Uh, but this scene where they're getting, you know, they're getting boarded by Cheech and everything. Cheech is first of all a creep, as we all know. Yeah. Stares at, stares at Julia <laughs> Lewis way too long for anybody's comfort. Um, but it's, that one is shot in three different locations. So like the inside is shot on kind of a sound stage. They did the outside at a different location. And then apparently... Um, Harvey Keitel had to leave and go shoot another movie, so they had to do the like dialogue between Cheech and um, George Clooney in a whole different location, 
And that's why they're so close up on each other because they couldn't have Harvey Keitel in there. They couldn't even like for continuity purposes, they could not be far enough away where it would be clear that um, Jacob Fuller is missing from the shots. So that scene for is probably my least favorite scene in the whole movie. It's, it's just to get us there, you know, um, we get our first feet shot of the movie too, when mm-hmm. Tarantino's looking at Juliet Lewis and the it's it, it does her like he does parts of it does parts God parts of her body, but it does her feet twice. It's fucking yeah. God damn it, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, Tarantino's foot fetish is in every one of his movies, but this, yeah, it's this one is his most favorite famous scene and probably favorite scene with feet ever. Yeah, I can imagine. Um and we'll get more onto Tarantino and his feet. Sure <laughs> we'll spend five minutes talking about this that. episode. Will be titled "Quentin Tarantino and Sucking Selma Hayek's Toes." Episodes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like they get through that, and that scene, uh, I know I get the point of having that scene, but it's just not my favorite. It just doesn't do it for me that much. It makes me feel gross. Oh no, no, I mean not the dancing scene. I'm talking about the the border guard scene yeah that's what i mean that that's yeah. that's what makes me feel gross yeah yeah oh well yeah yeah there's a lot of <laughs> that makes me feel gross but they get through and from that point on it's basically they are they're quick to get to the titty twister you know uh yeah. seth is very happy everybody's his friend now you know we're all going to get along and we're going to wait out the night at this bar up here uh, with the greatest name ever the titty twister I love the neon sign. I thought the neon sign looked fantastic. Yeah. Really cool sign. Open from dusk till dawn. Wonder why. Because they're vampires. They said the name. Yeah. <laughs> so this we end up on this scene, and this is where we get one of the most famous parts of the movie, uh, which is the second time we see Cheech when like five minutes. And that's when he screams pussy 600 times advertising how much pussy they have in does anybody have that memorized off the top of their head i know the last thing and he's like if you can find (laughs) if you can find pussy cheaper then fuck it (laughs) that's all good remember i remember bits of the other parts snapping pussy yeah snapping pussy pussy dry pussy whatever horse pussy yeah yeah chicken pussy (laughs) (laughs) was it White pussy, black pussy, um, bloody pussy. pussy. Yeah. yeah, he's just bloody pussy. I wonder how many takes they have of him. Just like he can't even finish it, he just slips up. He's just like, look, I, I can't, I can't, man. Just naming adjectives at that yeah. point. Uh, so yeah, you get in there, and um, that's the first time also that Seth Gecko punches the shit out of him. Uh, <laughs> out of one of his characters. Which happens a couple times, um, but they make it into there after the the pussy fest outside, and uh, that is when they end up in the topless bar, and the rest of the movie takes place there. So from the time we get to the bar is when we meet Danny Trejo's character, who first of all is really strict about who's in his bar for people who <laughs> suck, but, yeah. you know, like. You would think they would want to get as many people as possible in there if they got to kill them and eat them, you know? Yeah. Are they picky? Do they only want to eat truckers? I mean, I think that's they just assume truckers would be the more transient population, that if you get people who are just like, 
um, like if you wouldn't want to just have like the family who's on a trip because maybe they're going to be more established. People are going to be looking for them more. Possibly. Whereas, I don't know. That's what I always assumed. That makes sense. But then uh, Harvey Cartel's character, Jacob, just bullshits his way into becoming a trucker. Um, (laughs) It's very boomer man there. (laughs) Oh, I got a trucker's license because I drive that out there. See? Yeah. 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 And he's like, welcome to the titty twister. Like, it's just like that easy to get in, you know? Yeah, he puts on his customer service voice. He's like, welcome to, <laughs> welcome to the titty twister. So, so polite about it. <laughs> and then that's when they, they start getting drunk and dancing. And that's when it comes up to, yes, Tarantino, as, as was it Rodriguez put, Tarantino as a writer doing favors for Tarantino as an actor. Yeah. Is what, is what yeah, he called the, the Salma Hayek scene, which her name is Santanico Pandemonium, mm-hmm. which yeah, is a movie. It's apparently a movie. It's a horror movie from Mexico well, that they just named it after. And apparently it's Quentin Tarantino's misspelling and mispronunciation of that movie. Really? Uh, yeah, because also where at least we said like uh, George Clooney's like, you're going to go down here. You're going to turn on DeGaio and it's not DeGaio. It's like some other word completely, but Tarantino couldn't spell Spanish words for shit. And they just left it and went on and pronounced them wrong as well. So yeah, it's not even supposed to be Santanico. It's supposed to be something else. They said. Santanico, right. It was, yeah, I couldn't pick it up, but yeah, it's not even supposed to be what it, <laughs> it said. I've seen the and poster you- for the movie. I just can't remember yeah, with what it is but can you imagine her having to sign a lease and having to sign that motherfucker out every time that'd take forever that's such you a <laughs> to, to, have, to have to sign her name have to sign say if santanico oh. pandemonium had to sign a lease can you imagine how long that would take or to sign checks God. i would just write s line p yeah. line yeah, like, whatever signing things you know um but uh so here, uh, so they decided they really, I guess, they needed a snake around her. And Selma Hayek is, or was, I guess, absolutely petrified of snakes. Uh, she hates them. She was scared shitless of them. Oh, wow. What a trooper. Yeah. So, yeah. And she learned from Rodriguez that if she did not have a snake on her then she was probably not going to get the role uh so she spent three months in therapy getting over her fear of snakes to be able to play this role oh wow yeah so yeah i mean it was kind of like i think i think when i read somewhere that rodriguez just said that and he still intended to cast her but he just said that to her so he kind of lied to her about it um but yeah, he 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 demanded that you know that there be a snake there. Um, it looks cool. I could I could do without the snake there. I think it would be just as fine. But it it does add to like the you know the the serpent devilish yeah. hell style it's, to it. Snakes are evil, and yeah, yeah. And then it comes up on the dance, and the dance is Tarantino's favorite part. That man. He didn't shut up the whole time during this movie, but he was giggly doing commentary during this scene. Like you can tell he was happy. Um, and in the character, yeah, the character has a foot thing too, which just makes sense. But uh, he, he's very, he's very happy too. 
to to have Sama Hayek put her foot down his throat and dump tequila down it. <laughs> and spit it in his mouth. And spit it in his mouth. Yeah, just less so, less so the spitting in his mouth versus the foot. But just question. Um, I'm curious if you caught the makeup effects artist that was talking to Savini, or sorry, Sex Machine. Um, you know when Sex Machine was showing off his uh his dick gun? I don't oh, know. Oh yeah. Crotch, you know, rocket, the crotch pistol. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the guy who he was, you know, showing that to was Greg Nicotero from KMB, who famously has done a million movies and I guess more recently, uh, The Walking Dead, all the makeup for The Walking Dead. Wow. I feel like he's the most famous face of KNB. But I every time I see it, just every time I see it, like Siemens or every time he pops up in a movie, I'm like, oh God, that's Greg Nicotero. And I didn't know yeah. he was in this. But yeah, he's he's a small character in the movie. So yeah, by that point is right around, you know, Chichi's character comes back in, they get into a fight. That's when everybody turns into vampires. And that's when this movie just takes a, a, a massive turn. Massive turn. The biggest... I, I, I don't know if I would call it as a, a twist, necessarily. But it's a it's a, a turn, I guess. I don't know. It, it, mm-hmm. it shocked me the first time I ever saw it. Because I was just like, this is, not, this is not the movie I thought it was. Um, but the vampires are vampiric ghouls uh they all have this like monster looking face some are more like serpent style like Salma Hayek or you can kind of tell like she she looks like a snake a little she's got the scaly skin and everything yeah she turned into a snake in between her final transformation yeah um so what do you think of the initial transformation what did it what did it do to you first time you saw it well i think for me okay so i was aware the very okay so if we're talking about the very first time i saw it um i remember that i knew that this had something to do with vampires so i actually went into it knowing that it was going to turn into that so it wasn't extremely surprising for me but um i guess knowing that and knowing that they're in this place i was expecting something like that to have obviously i didn't know what but um i thought it was really cool and i liked uh i i love my my favorite part of the whole transformation scene is the band because i like how their instruments all get turned into body parts and then the you know the guy has the the torso guitar it's like I, I, i love that so much it's something out of Cannibal Corpse right there. Like, just a, a torso. Absolutely, yeah. See, I hate that because I'm just like, acoustically, that makes no sense. There's no way that would work. And yes, I'm aware that I've landed on just the smallest possible thing to complain about. But it takes me right out of the moment. I'm yeah, you can't. buying in until that. There's no electronics they can, um, <laughs> you know, feed through the torso, I guess, to like, you know, they can't hook a amp up to the um, the torso guitar. I just, I don't know. I love how it just, they add, it was so silly and ridiculous. Oh, yeah. and, uh, there were yeah. the last ones. And it was, I like, you know, in the bit where it was like, we got to kill that fucking band. <laughs> <laughs> I love that bit. 
So this is the scene where it gets really bloody. And uh, yes, but uh, the the interesting thing about it is that the the vampire ghouls, um, they have green blood. Um, yes. Do you know why they have green blood? Because they're not vampires. Because something about plant plants. I don't know why. Why do they have green? <laughs> because uh, it was uh, Rodriguez and Tarantino's idea to get around the MPAA. Because if they would have had a the gore fest of red blood, they would have had a hard time getting a even a rated R. Bad. So they made it green, and the MPAA was just like, eh, eh, whatever. That's fine because it that was makes- red. That makes sense. Um, I remember hearing a story about the the MPAA once, where they it was uh, critters, and they could show the, a hand being stabbed, right? But they couldn't show blood coming out of it. But you could show the hand being stabbed. It's so weird how like there's so many tiny little things that will set the MPAA off, and it's usually not like the bigger things. It's like the little <laughs> teeny, tiny things. Yeah, the MPAA I have my problems with them. Uh, yeah, for sure. But I, I know Rob Zombie. Every one of his movies, he <laughs> he is in a constant fight with the MPAA. I'm sure they they have like a blood hatred towards each other. Um, of course. And so yeah, they're all turning. There's a huge fight. Um, a lot of the the scene is just like choreographed by the people doing it because these are such big people. Like Savini did all of his stunts, obviously. Oh, did he do all this? I was wondering that. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Ah, that's stunts. They had that like add stuff to it so Savini could like <laughs> jump around and everything. Dude is really built. If even if you look at him now, he's like seventy five. Dude is dude is fucking stacked for being like seventy five years. I yeah. think he is. He's that or older, but he's yeah. like. He's he always takes a shirtless picture of himself on his birthday and posts it to Instagram, and he's oh, just yeah. like, dude, is still. Uh, oh, yeah. Is he? Yeah. I heard if he's doing better because he had had a wreck recently. It was in the hospital. He's doing. Yeah, he's doing better. He um he recently helped out uh, the guy I bought my uh my Jason COVID mask from. He helps him do uh, masks for the WWE. If you ever oh. look him up on uh, Instagram or Twitter, it's Baking Jason and Tom Savini specifically helps him to make these COVID masks and also uh, WWE monster masks. And the last thing I saw was that uh, he was promoting something for the WWE. So I'm pretty sure he's doing well. Good. Tarantino yes. mentioned that if you went to a horror con, if Tarantino in the 90s, because this, this this audio commentary was done like in between from Dust of Dawn 1 and 2. So okay, so it's a really, really old, old commentary. Oh, that's fun. Um, so Tarantino mentioned that back then, if he showed up to a horror convention with Savini, that all the horror fans would trample Quentin Tarantino to get to Tom Savini. That that's how like he he's such a cult following in the horror fandom that Tarantino just doesn't have. Um, I thought that was an interesting take that you know of non arrogance also from Quentin Tarantino there. Uh, I wonder if it was humbling for Savini Tarantino. Is more, more popular than he is. Do what? I wonder if it was humbling for Quentin Tarantino. I'm not sure. I don't, when I think of humble, I don't think of Quentin Tarantino. So no, like when he was with Tom Savini, I didn't know if maybe he was expecting everyone to hound him and then they did not So they hound Savini. So just kind of maybe put things in perspective well, form or something. He said he said that if they went to a, a horror convention together, 
Like it was like an a concept horror convention. I got. Oh, I got you. I see. Just if they were okay. Tarantino acknowledged that if they went to a horror convention together, that he would not be the center of attention. Very hard for Tarantino to do, I'm sure. Yeah, it's you know what's so crazy about Tarantino is that what do you know? Like he has such a background in like grind. I know he did the Grindhouse movies. I know he did Planet Terror, but or sorry, no, he didn't do Planet Terror. He did. Um, Death uh, proof. Death proof. Yes. Wow. Her favorite. Sorry, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Yes. I'm gonna um, whip myself in the back for that. Uh, so no, but like, I was. Apparently, he goes to like all these crazy, like weird film fests for like the weird, like Italian, like horror cinema and stuff. It's just crazy knowing that you have this man who's won a bunch of Academy Awards, but like, I feel like all of his interests in film that I keep seeing pop up are like just the weird, you know, you know, crazy obscure horror movie sort of stuff. It's he, although I wouldn't ever really want to hang out with him, I think. um, But it just seems like his tastes in movies are a lot more trashy than say like other filmmakers who have also won a lot of you know have those accolades i yeah, guess yeah. You, you, you know what i mean like yeah, I, get what, I think a better way of putting it for me would be that uh he was one cinematic flop away from being a genre director um <laughs> so like, sure, he sure. won a bunch of awards for all of his films like he he moved on and a lot of people do that they go into horror and and um they move on they use horror as kind of a catalyst but then like if you have a genre director that is somebody who is like you know um, Mick Garris or someone like that who just stays in horror and continuously does horror. So, uh, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, yeah, it's I don't hear, see a lot of like Academy Award or like award winning, uh, like a big big Hollywood people talk about how they really like uh, the movie Pieces or uh, the movie uh, Madman no. or you know like some weird you know no. like some Lucio Fulci movie. Um, yeah, so. By this time um, in the movie, the fighting is done. A couple of people have been bitten. Um, even Sex Machine has been bitten. Um, and they kind of like reconvene in the middle. And that is when Sex Machine turns and gets Fred Williamson's character. Um, and that's when, when Hell, it, you know, Hell's already broken loose, according to Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Apparently that was all he wrote in the script for this entire scene was all hell breaks loose. And they had to like interpret what he meant for that. <laughs> Um, and that's when they go back and they they build up forces. Uh, Harvey Gattel's character's been bitten, um, and it's it's become clear that not very many of these people are going to actually make it out alive. No, not um, and this is when you really start to get some of the things that point to them being actually vampires, right? Like holy water gun log. <laughs> automatic log carved thing. I don't even know what you would call that, that, that uh, George Clooney has like a, it's like a a giant wooden stake jackhammer. Yes. Yes. That's, uh, that's basically what Uh, it is. And, and then, you know, my favorite one, which is Harvick Hotels where it's a shotgun with a, with a, um, a rod and it's like a cross, you know, so like shoots him. I loved when um, who had the it was, I think it was I think it was Harvey Keitel or it was someone else who impaled 
Fred Williamson with a shotgun and then used him to like his body to pump the shotgun. Yeah, I love that so would, much. Would pump it through his intestines. Yeah. As it was stuck in him, it was he was just like shoving him on really it. Fun. Yeah. What do you think of this whole end scene? Uh the all hell breaks loose yeah. scene. Um yeah, it's very loud and bright and yeah, it's just kind of craziness. I think one of the reasons that it doesn't strike me as um, as vampires is, you know, trying to watch vampire movies this month to kind of prep for this. Of course, Jacob's wife uh, watched the miniseries of Salem's Lot, which is not as bad as it could be. And then just like, you know, the Fright Nights and stuff. And usually all the ones that I've seen, the vampires are you know, try to seduce people into like, hey, you should join us. It's so much better over here. You'll like being a vampire. And these are just like, I'm going to fucking eat you, which is why I think they seem so much more like zombies to me. So like this scene to me just feels like, cool, this is a nice zombie movie. I like zombie movies. This is fine. <laughs> it's just, it's hard for me to switch that, um, that off. I've yeah. seen other vampires like that though, like Thirty Days of Night. Or yeah, I haven't seen that. So, like Blade, I would even say Blade too. Like Blade Two, um, I love yeah. Fright. Yeah. I haven't seen that. <laughs> Maybe that's the issue. Maybe I need to watch yeah. more different ones. I mean, probably part of it, but uh, like uh, there is like a case for it to to for you to say like this is a little bit like a zombie vampire. But I would also argue, like you were saying, there are movies that have like an almost ghoulish type of vampire. Yeah, like a mindless vampire who doesn't give it, like they don't care about. Yeah. Usually there's a vampire lord or master in charge of all of them, which would be some Hayek's character in this. Um, Yeah. Usually, like killing that one turns everybody else back, right? And that did not fucking happen here. It depends. But also, like. Sunlight killed all of them, though. Like, that's kind of the thing. Like, Sunlight killed every single one of them. I mean, Tarantino even said that he created, like, his own kind of lore with vampirism in this. So, you know, there's things that, that are just universal in every vampire movie. And then there's things where they add, like, like Jacob's wife has rats in it, which we haven't mm-hmm. seen in a little while in a vampire movie. Um, and, but you get in, like, uh, you know, a Nosferatu or something like that, where, like, rats are a big thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I could see maybe if like you are used to like the the kind of like sexual vampire Bella Lugosi, the but yeah, the Bella yeah. Lugosi or the Fright Night or something like that, where it's like they're luring you in uh, and they're offering something. Yeah, these vampires just don't they don't care if you no. live or die. Like if we kill you, we kill you. If you get go. God. <laughs> no worries. One of my cats is, is meowing at me too. <laughs> you just picked the worst times. But um, anyway, so before I get into some production facts and we go into ratings um, towards the end here, uh, I want to talk about real quick my favorite, one of my favorite scenes in this movie. Um, and that is the ending once he sees Cheech for the third time. It's, it is absolutely my favorite dialogue in the entire movie. Um, and I was kind of mad that Tarantino talked over it. 
Mm. Uh, but you know that's that's what he's supposed to do. Um, but the, you know they make it out. Um, the the drug lords open the door and the, the door hits the you know disco ball. The disco balls all sunlight hits them and they all blow up to a green goop. Yeah, um, yeah. And when they get out, he just straight up punches them. He just punches them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and he just stands there after that, and he goes. What were they psychos? <laughs> and he like gets this like stance. He has to rearrange himself on the planet to be able to, <laughs> to, to, to just get him there. And he goes, "Psychos don't blow up in the sunlight. I don't give a fuck how crazy they are." <laughs> <laughs> that is that is one of my favorite lines of dialogue in probably any movie. Like that is I love that line and just the audacity that he has with it. Just like. <sighs> kind of thing um but obviously only two of them made it out um and that's julia lewis's character and george clooney um and you know there's almost like a feel there that they're gonna kind of like go on together and there's gonna be like a thing between them but you know he he does the right thing and says no and it's like it's time to go you know gives her some money and and leaves and that's some money sorry i kidnapped you and got your family killed yeah have a right. nice life yeah kind of kind of <laughs> still really shitty and she should hunt him down there should be a sequel where she just hunts him down and kills him um but at the end it pulls out and you see that the titty twister that the vampires and the titty twister decided to turn their aztec ruined temple into a titty bar and that's what it is. They're Aztec vampires who have a titty bar. Um, I always found that shot chilling, too, because there's no way that they got all the vampires from that. Like, not only did they point out in the commentary that there were, what, nine stunt people yeah. <laughs> milling about and they were filming it to make it look like there were tons. But even if there were as many as the camera were making it look like, they did not kill all, enough vampires from all those levels. That place is still going to be infested. And they're still going to keep getting all the travelers that come by. Yeah. Which oh, are, yeah, for sure. That's why there's so many sequels. Yeah. yeah there's, a, there's two sequels and then there's a show. But even if you don't watch any of those and you just watch this as a standalone, it's yeah. like, ooh. I've never crazy. watched the sequel. I'm, I I knew the show was that. It came out, what, like 2014? Yeah. I, don't, I think it's already over. Yeah, I never, uh, I was never super into yeah, it. Yeah, it, it was from Dust Till Dawn 2 is one of the first things that like, like Dimension and all of them really started to like experiment with like straight to VOD or video. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it really, it really didn't do well. It's a lot like the, it reminds me a lot like a, the Crow sequels. Oh, or, goodness. Oh, or, or, or some of those are like Handyman, you know, it's like, okay. Yeah. I've seen the Crow sequels. All right. So, real quick, the music here was done on this movie, was done by Gorame Ravel. Sorry, I butchered that. Um, it was distributed by Dimension Films, um, Los Hooligan Productions. That has to be Tarantino's or, or one of them. Um, and then Miramax. The running time is 108 minutes. Um, let's see. It was made in the United States. The budget was $19 million and it made $59.3 million. So it'd be considered a big success. Um, some of the people, real quick, some production facts. Some of the people that were uh, almost cast instead of George Clooney. Um, Antonio Banderas. Steve Buscemi. Ugh. Michael Madsen. 
Tim Roth, John Travolta, okay, Christopher Walken, Jeff Goldblum, James Woods, and Robert De Niro. Okay, with the exception of Antonio Banderas, all of those would have been horrible for this. And there's some really good actors, but those all would have been horrible for Seth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. They they did they did the right thing by doing George Clooney in that. Um, oh yeah. Although I will say that probably the most dated part of that commentary was Tarantino being like, yeah, and it was great for Clooney because he wasn't getting any work then. But now look at him. He's Batman. It's like, oh, honey, no, (laughs) no, don't brag. He certainly was Batman. (laughs) (laughs) So and then uh, Tarantino was originally set to direct the movie, but he decided not to. So he could focus more on the screenplay and his role as Richard. Oh, yeah, and here's one. Uh, a barefoot fetish. Tarantino often finds himself involved with women's feet. Richard is seen obsessing over Kate's feet when he holds her at gunpoint in the RV and he drinks the alcohol spilling from Santanique, Santanico Pandemoniums. I've butchered that already. It's foot. And even tells a hostage to take off her shoes before she gets in the bed with him, even though he's still wearing his. So, yeah, there's a lot of feet. Are you wait a minute? Are you telling me Quentin Tarantino likes feet? That's crazy. Didn't know that. Did you? I can't believe it. Just watching, like, I didn't know that when I first watched Death Proof because it was probably the first Tarantino, well, other than this, the first Tarantino movie I'd seen. But man, you watch that again now, and the opening credits are this woman's feet up on the dashboard. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So the television version for the commercial. The name of the bar was digitally changed to Kitty Twister, and the neon oh, lights yeah. were blocked out. Oh, I would go nice. somewhere called Kitty Twister, though. It's yeah, really fair. It sounds like fun. I wonder what they edited for Juliette Lewis's scene where uh, she said, "I want you to eat my pussy." I wonder what she said. <laughs> I want you to eat my cat. I don't know. Suck my toes. Will you fold my laundry? Here's one that that stuck out to me. There's a special effects guy um, who they told him they wanted to do a Superman shot. So, like, a Superman shot's when you see inside of something that's like solid, but you see, see what's going on. And the very beginning, you see like that shot of the car go by and you see her in the trunk, that Superman shot. Well, they told him they wanted to do it. And the special effects guy said that he couldn't do the Superman shot for cheap, that it was going to be like $200,000 to do. And they were like, yeah, you're you're done, buddy. We could do that like with a really cheap effect, like Superman did it all the time. That's where it gets the name from. Um, and so they they fired him over that. He said he couldn't do it for less than two hundred thousand dollars, and they were just like, "Well, fucking get out." The balls on that guy! He could give me two hundred thousand dollars to do this thing. Wow. Um, Yeah, Tarantino considers them closer to ghouls than zombies. He also calls them vamps. But um, most of the other facts that I have, we already gave. So um, some ratings. Uh, It has on IMDb a seven point two out of ten. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 62%. And on Letterboxd, it has a 3.5 out of 5. Troy, what would you give this movie? Out of 10, I would give it an 8. Okay. What about you? i give it a 7 out of 10. All right. I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5 because I do the Letterboxd route. 
Okay, so that is from Dust Till Dawn. Um, that was a fun one. I enjoy that movie a lot. So for sure. next time, we're going to do something a little different. Um, it's not going to be Troy's Mandate yet. That will be coming after. For this next uh, one, we are going to do something called a Hot Takes episode. So basically, it's just going to, we're all three going to pick one horror hot take that we have that we might think will actually, like, maybe not, like, totally offend, but just, like, <laughs> that might shock people, right? Um, like, things like a certain movie is bad, like a certain horror that is considered a masterpiece movie is not actually that good and why. Um, but the, the fun part about it is that you're going to hear why and they're going to have to defend your position unless we all agree with it, which we might. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a hot take episode next and it's going to be a fun one because there's going to be a lot of, oh my God, it's going around. No and I'm I got a doozy. Uh, when that one after that one, I have a doozy for the for my mandate after that, but I'll okay. save that for a later date if you want me to. <laughs> no, you can go ahead and announce it real quick. Um, the movie I, I want to do for my mandate after that is uh, Fulci's Zombie, which is a fat <laughs> shit insane, well, I have crazy a movie. Um, movie is crazy insane. Yeah. All right. Well, so. For May, we will do hot take, and for June, we'll be full cheese zombie. Yes. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And remember, uh, find our Twitter. It's at Bloody Bourbon One. Find our Facebook. It's just the Bloodlust and Bourbon Podcast. And give us a follow on Spotify or Apple or wherever the hell you listen to this podcast. Thanks, everybody. Night. Bye-bye. podcast was made by horror fans like yourself intro music by aaron burcham